All right, so welcome to the uh, Friday evening and Saturday morning uh, uh, Sangha group. Scott, I'm good, glad to see you. You've just arrived in Bangkok and that I would like uh, to introduce you to Avery. Avery is kind of a new student, but he's already okay. making progress. Avery's joined a couple of my calls. Excellent. Yeah. Oh. Well, one one thing that I would like to say is, is that I have watched Avery change over time. He's really made great progress. Um, that he was a mopey teenager when he called. Yeah, <laughs> so was I. I went through the same thing. And he's... <laughs> And he's uh, really showing some signs of, of change. So one of the things then that we want to talk about today is, is that actually after a student gets on the, the Dhamma path and starts making some progress, it looks like to that student that <clears throat> things are still not good enough. And that one of the things that they will often say is, is that I want to stop the mind because they're watching the mind enough. Now, you see, beginners, they would never, uh, brand new beginners or people who have never practiced would never make such a statement. So that's uh, to be able to get to the point of seeing the mind and all of its proclivities enough to want to put a stop to it, period is a, a very noble, admirable goal to have. That's a very wholesome goal. However, not meeting that goal immediately is also going to be frustrating. And so what we have to look at is, is that it's not just stopping the mind, that that's kind of like a, a big freighter that has tons and tons and tons, hundreds of uh, containers and the captain says, I want to stop this ship. Do you think he can stop that ship? No, then in fact, this is what a good pilot is all about, is to be able to see things way off into the distance so that we can avoid them, rather than running up to it and stopping in an emergency stop, because big freighters like a human mind got no brakes. There are no brakes to the mind, but what we can eventually do because freighters do stop. And one of the ways that you can stop a freighter is by stop the engine. And then with the engine stopping, we can slow down, slow down, and eventually it'll come to a rest. But there's other ways to do it, and that is to set, uh, rather than the freighter wanting to stop, maybe the thing to do is, is to see in advance so that we can avoid by, by turning that we can begin to turn the mind. And this is what the Buddha recommends, is, is that instead of trying to stop it altogether, when we don't have that skill, that we want to turn it or divert it. And that I have seen that work a lot of different ways. So let's keep track of that issue about diversion. That one of the things that I have seen with dog trainers, as opposed to dog owners, when the dog misbehaves, a dog owner will punish the dog. When parents see their child misbehave, they'll punish the child. And so we get into a punishment mode. And when we grow up and start practicing Dhamma, and we can see the mind being the monkey mind that it is, we want to stop it. We want to punish it. And a dog trainer knows better than that. He doesn't punish the dog. What he does is he distracts the dog. One of the ways of distracting a dog is by giving it a treat or calling the dog off. But often the dog doesn't get called off. What we have to do is divert the dog's attention from one thing to another. And then, in fact, humans get distracted let, let us say that they're doing a wholesome thing and then they're being distracted by an unwholesome thing. So distractions are actually quite common. <coughs> but here we can use the issue of distraction, which would be very much like the helmsman of a, uh, or a pilot of a big ship can steer it 
rather than trying to stop it. And so this is where coming back to the original practice of let's distract ourselves. Just like um, you've probably done that with your shoulder, that when the shoulder hurts, if you distract yourself, I mean, watch a YouTube video, do something else. Get involved with something else and put the mind over here. And then we're not looking at the pain so much that we can, in fact, uh, not necessarily ignore it. But that's exactly what does happen is when we become distracted by something else, we can ignore it. Now, this is uh, handy information that's been known for centuries. That in fact, in the 1950s, there was, a, I think that it came, came because of the end of World War II and out of the Depression, that there was a happy, happy time in the United States. That they had the GI Bill, which meant that uh, buying homes was easy, university educations were easy, getting jobs were easy. And what happened with that time is this is where um, Hollywood came up with a whole lot of happy music, not just um, Disney with zippity doodah and all of that kind of music, but uh, count your blessings. Rather, you know, if you can't go to sleep, uh, they in the old days would say count sheep. Well, counting sheep is kind of the diversion because if you're counting sheep, that means that you're not thinking about the shoulder hurts or the bugs bites, or whatever happening we have in the day. But the song said, let's not count sheep. Let's count our blessings. So one of the things that then we can do is to start thinking about all the good things that are happening in life, rather than dwelling on the unhappy things. Now, the human mind is constructed in a way um, that in fact is quite instinctual. It's a self-preservation instinct that uh, keeps us going, keeps us motivated to keep making things right. One after another after another, we have become a problem-solving machine. And the joke is, is that what happens with a problem-solver, somebody who's a real problem-solver, and all of a sudden he has no problems to solve, and that becomes a problem. And so now he goes looking for problems to solve so that he'll have some problems to solve because not having any problems is a big problem. What a funny story that is. That in fact, that was something that was happening with Eric. He, Eric, uh, because of the visas and what happened with, uh, um, with his Achan, he winds up staying in a small village watch in Laos, and he comes back to complain, oh, there are no challenges here. There's nothing happening. Uh, and, a, and a lot of guys want to come to Thailand, come on vacation so that they can find some place where nothing is happening. Yeah. But if you stay in a nothing happening kind of world for a while, then the idea is, is that we get restless, we get bored. And uh, so, um, Eric comes up with, I got to leave here because I'm not getting challenged. I'm not getting any spiritual growth. I'm not getting any sandpaper to polish me off. There's just nothing happening here. And my response was just one sentence. And that is, oh, having no challenges is quite a challenge for you. And he got it. Bang, he got it. That was an nice. important point. He got it immediately. That's good. No challenge is a challenge. No problems are a problem. And so we get stuck in the system of going from one problem to solve after another, after another. And we never uh, sit back and reflect upon all of the challenges and all of the uh, problems that we have been able to solve. But in fact, by the time the average American is an adult, he's already expert at problem solving. I mean, high school, what a problem that is. 
And so we learn to deal with these problems. But by doing so, we get into the habit of looking for problems to solve, looking for things to do. And what we can see when we, uh, as uh, meditators, getting some practice going, we can begin to see that, oh, I keep having a bunch of problems in the mind. I wish I could stop that. Rather than diverting ourselves away from that into uh, like that issue of counting our blessings. Look what you've been able to do. I mean, six months ago, um, uh, Avery, you were depressed almost nonstop. Now I see you cheerful and happy. I look at people and I can see that they've made changes. Scott, I'm really impressed with the changes that you've made over the past couple of years. You guys are really getting someplace with the Dhamma, and I very much see that and appreciate it. And I want you guys to see that and appreciate it also. I do. I do so much. I appreciate it every single day. And so I also want to thank you for your um, instructions and teachings that helped me so much over the years. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. So getting to the point, then, go ahead, Avery. Well, I was just saying, yeah, okay, no, thank you. It has very, it, it, it's helped me a lot. Uh, I, I guess I, I haven't really paused to, uh, I, I don't think much about the past, so I haven't really paused to think about how, like, uh, but I'm definitely different. I'm definitely better than I was, like, happier. Mm-hmm. So more, more calm. Well, yeah. the human mind does a kind of one, two, one, two, in the sense of thinking about the past. And when we think about the past, we look at some things that were not right. I mean, my goodness, everybody has a deep, dark past. Everybody has made huge numbers of mistakes. The beautiful part about it is, is that for everybody who is still alive, they didn't clutch themselves to death. Whatever mistakes we made, we survived them. And so we can congratulate and congratulate ourselves for having survived our own past. But most people don't do that. They keep looking at all of that dirt and all of those problems that are happened. And to now we want to kind of make up for it, fix it up, kind of saying that if I can fix the past, then I could feel good. Rather than letting the past just be what it is and be here now without trying to fix the past. That in fact, when we're trying to fix the past, now we're in the future. So we go past, future, past, future, past, future, around in a kind of a cycle. And the way that we can put a stop to that, first off, is by, as the Buddha talks about it, start having wholesome thoughts. And one of the ways that we can have wholesome thoughts is by having wholesome thoughts about the past. Count your blessings. Count the good things that have happened to you in your life. Wow, things are really okay if we would see how okay that they are. I've actually survived. I mean, I think I'm I'm beginning to understand and appreciate it at the age of 78 now. I have survived a lot of stuff. That's a lot of of stuff's gone down that sewer. And guess what? I'm glad that that I can see and appreciate that not only was it a whole lot of shit that went down, a whole lot of good stuff went down. I have I have met some remarkable people in my lifetime. I always thought that, man, I never. Wow. That's a great way to, to to bring wholesome thoughts to the past too, because I always like I'm just like trying to avoid my past or like thoughts of the past most of the time because I'm like no I gotta stay here. But what if I like was like well, there's this good thing I met this person I'm glad this thing happened and then it's like you know okay right we're, mm-hmm. we're, what we're doing is like using the power of like I think belief and the mind are incredibly powerful. Because what we're basically doing is making ourselves believe that things are really good. I'm pretty sure that's what it is, right? Mm-hmm. 
Well, this takes some discernment because there's a lot of lying going on that we will actually um, invent things to be pleased or proud of rather than actually reflecting upon, because if we're actually reflecting upon what we have done, we can always find problems with it. I, yeah, Avery, I don't think it's as much as belief as, as it is the way that you view things. So um, mm -hmm. reality so, is dependent upon how you view it. So if you view things from a negative mindset, everything is going to look negative. Yeah, exactly. I it's think not that's what I to that say. you believe that it's one way or another. Sorry, what was that, Avery? I think I meant like attitude rather than belief. Attitude, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. More of an attitude. Actually, we we can look at that word belief for just a moment, in the sense that, um, what we all believe. Whatever it is that we believe is that we don't know and we don't like knowing. So we make up a story and tell ourselves a story so that we think then that we know. But somewhere in there, we actually do also know that this is just a story. It's not real. Now, in our society, we, um, especially out of Christianity, they've got into that it's not just okay, but it's necessary to believe things. Like an example of that is, I believe that Joe Biden's going to win the 2024 election. But then I hope that he's going to win, et cetera, like that. And the reality is, is that we do not know who's going to win the election. And not only that, but right now, it doesn't matter. That's off next year sometime. We don't have to have a belief about something that's in the future. If we don't have to have a belief about who's going to win the election, then we don't even need to have beliefs about what happens after we die. We don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody knows the future. That in fact, there's an old movie uh, that was, uh, the name of it was, uh, Oh God. And that, uh, uh, oh, I don't remember the names of the actors. I think that, uh, uh, George Burns played, uh, the role of God and that, uh, he just kind of showed up in this guy's life who was the manager of a, of a grocery store. And God kind of followed him around and would pop into his life. I mean, he'd be driving his car and all of a sudden George Burns would be in the back seat over his shoulder talking to him. All right. And in this movie, uh, George Burns, the actor playing God, said, you know, I've been around for a long time and I've got a pretty good handle on the past. And I keep my eyes open and I know what's happening in the future, uh, in the present. But the future, I don't have a clue. <laughs> now, if God himself doesn't even have a clue about what the future is, why are humans going around making stuff up, believing things about the future, when in fact we don't have a clue? So if we can change our attitude from the past was okay, look at all my blessings instead of looking at all the mistakes and the future, we can just say, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I don't have a clue. But what I can do right now is enjoy right now. And so this is that whole point about diverting ourselves <coughs> Because most of the time, people are dwelling upon the past, all the problems that they've had, all the things that they need to do in the future. So it's a past, future, past, future life. And if that's the case, one of the things that we could do then is divert ourselves out of that cycle into the present moment. Let's divert ourselves. Let's take a diversionary tactic. Let's get us off of our topic because the normal way is is to find something wrong and then punish ourselves for it and then try to make a plan to fix it. 
but we can divert from that. One of the ways of diverting is to divert into, wow, I've survived. I can count my blessings. Look at all this good stuff that has happened in my life, that it wasn't all bad, that in fact quite a lot of stuff is good. I've met some remarkable people. I've done some remarkable things. And everybody can say that for themselves and find something good. This happened in the past, so we can divert ourselves away from that. And also from the future, we can begin to say, ha, huh, I don't know, and that's okay. You see, in our culture, everybody's supposed to know. This is why we have education systems, is we get people into the greed for knowledge. And one of the big knowledges that we don't have much of is what's going to happen in the future. Nobody knows what's happening in the future. Why do so many people have so many beliefs about what's going to happen in the future? When in fact, we don't know. And so we can divert ourselves from the future by saying, wow, I am glad that I can admit to myself that I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. That's actually the foundation of wisdom. Because wisdom has the quality of being able to see what directions things are going. An example of that at the real life is, is that I was out hunting with my dad and uh, the people uh, in, the, in the town. This was in Abbeville, South Carolina. And that one of the guys that was out on that hunt with us that day was an elderly gentleman who had a 12-gauge double-barrel old-style shotgun that he had hanging under his arm with the barrel over his arm like this, and he was just carrying it around. And that uh, gun kept showing up as being pointed at various people's kneecaps. And every one of those hunters was aware of where every gun was and which direction it was pointed. I hear that that's also true about gun ranges, that everybody has to take care of which direction the gun is pointed. And they kept chastising this old man, don't point that gun at me. So this is the way that we have to understand wisdom is not knowing what's going to get shot but we can see which direction things are headed, which direction that gun is pointed, so that we can begin to divert things in the present rather than worrying about the future of the gun going off, what is it going to hit? We can just see how things are right now. A good psychologist, in fact, can see that the direction of a particular topic is not going well with the client can see the facial expressions. If that's the case, a good psychologist will use what? Diversion. We're going to divert, okay? This is exactly the way that we look at that old great big ship, that big container, is that we can't stop it, but we can divert it. We can change its direction slightly. We don't have to turn it around altogether. We can just change the direction just a little bit. So. There's no reason to try to stop the mind. We can say, aha, look at me wanting to stop my mind. What a funny joke that is, trying to stop the mind. Well, guess what? If we have that, we've just diverted the mind. Now we don't need to stop it. All we need to do is to change its direction just a little bit. This is what we would call in Dhanapanasati of gladdening the mind. Let's just divert it just a little bit. An example of that uh, kind of uh, attitude or way of thinking is, is that any thought that you do have, whether it's a negative thought or a positive thought, whatever thought that we have could be improved just slightly. An example of that is I'm thinking about an argument that I had with Granny. And we want to continue that argument. We want to win. We don't like it when Granny wins arguments. Because I lose them. So we're thinking about how can I win that argument with Granny? And what we can do instead is think, wow, 
Granny is such a good arguer. She really knows what she's talking about. And so we can change the focus from I don't like it that Granny is good at arguing into I like it that Granny is good at, at arguing. We could just change it just slightly, just a little bit. We still are on the topic of Granny arguing, but now we can give her credit for it. And say, wow, I'm going to learn a lot by arguing with Granny because she's going to teach me how to do it right. Because she always wins these arguments. Okay. That's a really interesting way of... Pardon? This is really, really clever. <laughs> I, I hadn't thought of this. Like, I was like, well, if I'm good at meditating, I should be good enough to just stop. But if I could make things slightly better, then that's, a, that's just a way to... A valuable skill for life, really. Yes, just make a small change. We don't have to make big changes. We can just make small changes. This thought can be improved a little bit. Now, we can go all the way with it. And in fact, it's possible, is it, to have a thought that's so marvelous, so wonderful, so over the top, that we couldn't possibly improve it. The answer to that would be, if I can recognize and I can see what a marvelous thought that is, I can congratulate myself for having that thought, too. So every thought can be improved. With that unders uh, understanding, that's the way that we can begin to think, is, is that, oh, I can make an improvement here. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. I Okay, well, I'm really glad I came to this saga already. <laughs> Go yeah, ahead, Scott. Uh, the more you uh, point the mind in the wholesome direction, and the, the more satisfied and wholesome the mind is on a moment-to-moment -moment basis, the mind tends to take larger breaks uh, in between um, it happening and disappearing. Because you're not always thinking, like you say, like, what, what did you, what was the question that started the call? You wanted your, your thoughts to stop or something? Mm -hmm. Like that, Your thoughts are stopping mm -hmm. all the time. You just never notice when they do. Um, when, and, <laughs> <laughs> and when you're happy, they stop more of the times. Like when there's uh, chaotic and uh, uh, unwholesome thoughts and defilements thoughts just lead to more and more of those thoughts whereas ha ha happy thoughts lead in the vanishing direction so it takes yes absolutely uh scott here's a question for you in that regard have you ever heard movies being called flicks yes okay do you know why where does that term come from I'm not sure, actually. Maybe something uh, to do with how movies were made. Yes, exactly how. That in the old, old days, when movies were first getting going, even the commercial ones in the 19-teens and the 20s, they ran at 10 frames a second. Right. Well, we're down at the level of uh, the speed that the mind works, which meant that people could tell when the frames changed because they changed slowly enough but right. here's the point about the old videos or the old uh, movies the flicks running at 10 frames a second is is that when the movie projector it it operates in fact you can uh they they have not only a flicker but they have a clicking sound a chattering sound and what that sound comes from is, is that there is a plate that each frame of the movie moves across and then stops. And then the light turns on and it shows that frame. And then the light turns off and then they'll move it to the next frame. Okay. How do they turn the light off? Because those old projectors used arc lights. They had a um, like a uh, an electric fan kind of device on the front of the screen so that it would turn 
into a white part while the uh, the light would show through and the frame was was fixed and then it would continue to spin to a dark place and so there was actually no light going to the screen while the machine moves the frame to the next frame and then it would turn the light on again then it would turn the light off again and then it would jerk to the next frame which means that while you were watching a movie an old style movie with um imax at 70 frames a second or uh standard movies at uh, uh 24 frames a second whatever it is you're only watching a movie half the time the other half of the time the screen is black it's blank isn't that interesting because the mind works the same way. Right. There is generally a gap between each thought that we have. Right. And not only that, but when we're thinking in words, there's also a gap between each of the words as we invent what that word we're going to say next. That this is, in fact, the way that AI works is that it has to compute one word at a time. And while it's computing, it's not wording. And then when it words, it's not computing. And so there's that kind of flickering that's happening within our own mind. And so, uh, Scott, you're absolutely right. The mind is stopping, not on a regular basis, but about every tenth of a second or so, half the time the mind is stopped. And we can begin to see those gaps and start making them larger. But that's kind of an advanced thing. What we really need to do is to make sure that the next frame is going to be a wholesome frame and the next frame after that. So this is a little slower. Yeah, because yeah, there's there's the steps to it. You, usually the times when I noticed, um, noticed the, the gaps in between the frames or the gaps in between perceptions and feelings, it was after I had experienced a whole lot of rapture and joy about the Dhamma and just a whole lot of just, wow, isn't this amazing? And just like, it wasn't, it wasn't right. It wasn't like I tried to practice Vipassana and then it happened. It was more like a natural, more natural outcome of uh, keeping the, the mind in a wholesome state, wholesome state of mind. Mm-hmm. That's uh, when we begin to recognize how the mind works. I can see where the student would want to stop the mind without recognizing, hey, it's stopping. Sometimes it stops three, four times a second. Sometimes, and in fact, uh, they, <laughs> they call it a senior moment. And that it happened on stage with uh, Mitch McConnell not long ago, but his senior moment lasted for about 45 seconds where his mind just stopped. Right. It started up again. Yeah. So this and idea of happens randomly throughout the day too. Mm -hmm. Like maybe when you're doing the dishes or you're just doing some random little thing, you don't notice it, but there's moments throughout the day where you're not thinking about anything. Not thinking about anything at all. Runner's high is very right. much like. Mm hmm. So while you're on the score, uh, uh, snowboard right. and watching what's going on, you don't have much time to think. No. Mm. I don't know. When people are uh, in the ring, the boxing ring, if you start thinking about something, you're going to get hit in the face. Mm. And so that kind of proves that the mind can stop. It can, it can stop in the sense of uh, going into full body mode where uh, your consciousness is kind of hooked directly to the body. Uh, that's like, isn't that step three or what, of Anapanasati? Uh, breathing in, I experience the whole body. Mm-hmm. Um, and I experience the whole body. Not all at once, but various pieces of it. And that's especially true when we're engaged in an activity, like driving a motorcycle too fast or going down a ski slope. You got to watch what you're doing. And the um, 
that kind of proves then that the mind is stopped quite often, a lot. And so uh, there's no reason. Otherwise, you'd be insane. If it never stopped, you'd be in an insane asylum. Exactly, exactly. It just doesn't ever shut off. And so the ability for it to shut off is quite natural and quite built in. Right. Here's the point, though. If we try to stop the mind, then we don't like everything that it does do because we want it to stop. Where, in fact, it stops and starts and stops and starts, and all we can see is the starting, and we never see the stopping. Just like the old uh, film days that people could see those flickers, they knew that it was one frame after another when it runs at 10 frames a second, but if you move it up to 24 frames a second, then that's too fast for the eye-mind coordination, and it looks like a smooth thing that's going a smooth movie, where in fact that movie is only playing half the time. Also, <laughs> also I want to uh, relate this to the main teaching of the Buddha is, uh, yeah, we... Uh, we don't notice when our thoughts stop and start, but most importantly, we don't notice when the dukkha stops and starts. <laughs> exactly so. And, and that's the mo- like that's the only reason why you'd be interested in having no thoughts. It's it's not because it's not because there's something special about not thinking. It's because you want to experience uh, relief from your uns- dissatisfaction. Mm-hmm. So you can be satisfied whether you have thoughts or not. So most importantly, what what's what's the start and stop of your own dukkha? And and a lot of times, um, someone may have the idea that I'm a depressed person, but a couple times a day, you might catch them cracking a smile or even a laugh here and there. You might see them smile a little bit here and there, but they don't even notice it. They don't notice when the when the dukkha goes away. They only notice when it's there. So exactly. they develop an identity that's that's uh invested in dukkha their sense of self comes from dukkha rather than noticing it goes away all the time Mm -hmm. you're exactly right so what we can begin to recognize when we're depressed is is that the, the thoughts that we're having even though there's gaps in those thoughts the thoughts that we're having leads us into a state of dissatisfaction We don't like it. If we can see that we don't like it, then we can begin to change what we're doing. Now, a lot of people, when they get in uh, into the practice of of meditation, whether it's the Gawanka method or the Mahasi method or whatever, people think that, oh, I should be doing it all the time. And therefore, when they don't do it or when it stops, when there's gaps in the practice, when they do come back on, they do come back and say, oh, I wasn't meditating all of that time. Oh, I'm a bad person because I've made a rule that I should be doing it all the time. Instead of congratulating themselves for starting up again. The same thing is true with the dukkha, that no matter how much dukkha there is, it's not nonstop. It's up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down on a regular basis. Can we begin to see that those cycles are there, that it's not always there, and we begin to see these gaps? Because if we can begin to see the gaps in the the, uh, unwholesome thoughts, then we can begin to see and focus on the gaps between one wholesome thought after another. This is where the Buddha gives the story about the cowherd in Sutta number 19. And by the way, the name of the Sutta is Two Kinds of Thoughts. And the the Buddha's story is, is that the cowherd gets up in the morning, takes his true number of cows, six, eight, ten, this is not a, um, uh, a, a cattle drive where you've got 10,000 cows and 10 uh, cowboys, but rather one old Indian with his small herd. And in order to get them out to the pasture, he's got to pass through the village where they are um, having food stalls. Their laundry is out. 
the children are running around all kinds of dangers that if those cows misbehave, the villagers are going to get really angry at that cow herd and maybe even take his cows away from him. So he's got a job to do to get them through the village. And so cow herds always carry a big stick, a walking stick, so that if a cow tries to grab a carrot off of a stand, he can whack that cow. Whack it, okay? This is, in fact, the analogy that we have is that when we can see that we're having an unwholesome thought, we can whack it. The Buddha says to whack it in the sense of, aha, I see that. Aha, I caught you. And then we can do, have kind of thoughts of, oh, I can do better than this. I can relax. But in fact, just the thought of relaxation will bring about some of those gaps. The mind will stop. I was listening to uh, a, a Buddha Dasa uh, talk that was translated by, I forgot, the guy who was speaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, Buddha Dasa said that the defilements, uh, which is a translation of Kulesas, uh, is the 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 meaning the word defilement isn't a good enough word for it. Uh, and he said that it, it's more like what we think of as Satan times ten mm-hmm. is what the word Kulesa actually means. So it's like any kind of greed, ill will, or delusion that you have should be like that should be like satanic to you. like that should be the most evil thing that could you could do or you could think. So it, it kind of inspires that effort to get that out of your mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some old jokes about that. One of them is is that on the some mountain or when Jesus was out in the wilderness, he said something about get me get thee behind me satan put the satan in the past and that flip wilson made a big joke about that in the 1960s with the phrase of get thee behind me satan and don't push (laughs) okay so we can in fact recognize begin to recognize slowly recognize how dangerous these unwholesome thoughts are. Yeah. But that doesn't mean... They create our own hell. The reason why it's satanic is because it creates your own living hell. Exactly so. Depression is a living hell. Right. Being angry. While one is angry, that's a hell. Yeah. And so we create these hells but we keep going in and out, in and out. We don't stay in the hell. Right. That if somebody was in uh, a mental state all the time, they'd probably die soon. They'd have too much adrenaline in their system that they're not working with. They would, uh, all kinds of bodily problems, they'd wind up clutching themselves to death. Yeah. Or with an accident, they're not watching the road and they're going to have an automobile accident simply because they're uh, not in the present moment. They're worried about the past or the future. So given all of this stuff about the, the thoughts and the fact that there are groups of thoughts. So let's get back to the story about the cow herd that once he gets the cows past the danger point and gets them out to the pasture, You can just imagine that when cows are feeding in the grass, they've got their heads down because the grass is on the ground. That when they're in the village, their heads are up because they're walking and they're looking for all the groceries on all the the food stalls. So when the cow herd gets the cows out to the pasture, he doesn't have to stand there with them with his stick. But in fact, he can go sit down under a tree and rest, but keeps an eye on the cows. He's not going to go to sleep. He's going to watch the cows, but he can watch them from a distance. So this is the analogy of how we're going to practice Anapanasati is the first part of it is is to recognize one wholesome thought after another and kind of whack it with that thought of, aha, I see you. Aha, I see you, Myra. 
Now, here's an important point that Aha, I see you, Myra, is just changed it from an unwholesome thought into a wholesome thought. The unwholesome thought, we see that unwholesome thought and have the thought, Aha, I can see you. And that's kind of diverting our way from the actual being in that thought because now we're outside of it and we can reflect upon it and look at it and recognize that's an unwholesome thought. And we also, if we have um, a moment of clarity, we can realize how we feel now because of that unwholesome thought. We can actually see the effect of it. We can see the dukkha. And we can say, aha, I see that stuff. Aha, I see this unwholesome thought bringing on an unwholesome feeling. And by saying, aha, I can see you, we've already diverted it. Yeah, and there's kind of also like a congratulations built into the aha. Uh-huh. you feel good about it rather than feeling bad about having an unwholesome thought you feel good about noticing that it is an unwholesome thought mm-hmm. so you generate some s- sort of positive momentum some some i can do this energy yeah Ah, uh-huh. i can do this i can do this i can do this okay so it's only after the cow herd gets his cows out to the pasture and gets them feeding which means Actually, they're eating wholesome food, and we can see that is having one wholesome thought after another. One wholesome thought after another, after another. And when I say after another, there's a little bit of gap in there already. There was already a gap. There was already nothing going on. So we have the thought, and then we stop, and then we have another thought, and then we stop. The question now is, is can we have a wholesome thought, stop, have another wholesome thought, stop, have another wholesome thought, stop, have another wholesome thought, stop. And now we can begin to put some space in those so that we have a wholesome thought and we stop and then we stop a little more and then we can have another wholesome thought and then we can stop and then we stop a little more. So this is the way that we can practice is by first, we, we cannot stop that great big battleship or that great big freighter, but what we can do is divert it from those unwholesome mm-hmm. thoughts one after another into a wholesome thought one after another, and then we can begin to put the gaps in. And fairly uh, soon, is, go ahead. Well, this is, I'm just saying, this is great. Like, uh, now I have a lot more to experiment with. I'm excited. I didn't quite I'm catch. Excited, I'm excited to start like uh, experimenting with that. Excellent, excellent that you can figure this out. All right. So this is the way that we can do it. Now, here's something that happens with every student. I've talked to various students about it. And when we do, they say, yeah. And that is, is that sometimes after we have a thought and then a gap, we can see the gap. Sometimes the gap is long enough so that we can really see it. And we can say, aha, the mind just stopped. But that aha, the mind just stopped, is when the mind starts back up again. Right. We can't say, aha, the mind has stopped. Yeah. It, yeah while the mind is still stopped. <laughs> I forgot I forgot which sutta, but there's a quote from the sutta that's talking about uh, cessation. And he says, a bhikkhu or a mendicant does not think I will now enter the cessation of perception of feeling, or I am entering the cessation of perception of feeling, or I have entered the cessation. Because all those thoughts that you would have that you're experiencing the no thoughts, that would be a thought. That was just right? thought. <laughs> but you can't think about it at all. You can't even conceive it. It's inconceivable, if that makes sense. It's like unfathomable so like what you're going to try to do is you're going to try to conceive it or imagine what it would be like but anything you imagine what it would be like wouldn't be it by definition Mm -hmm. right well in here's two words inconceivable and unfathomable let's take unfathomable first do you know what a fathom is no i don't actually okay a fathom is approximately two meters okay Okay, and how they would measure a fathom 
or how they would measure the depth of the water under the boat was that they would have a rope like on the anchor, a very small anchor, and they would drop it overboard and they would count the knots. Okay, that in fact, you know that Samuel Longhorn Clemens called himself Mark Twain. Mm -hmm. Okay, what is that? That's the mark of a fathom and it's two fathoms deep. Okay. Two fathoms means about, uh, oh, four meters okay okay our our four meters would be uh times three would be um about 12 feet mark twain that for most boats that's running aground <laughs> okay okay the two fathoms is not enough now what is unfathomable means is, is that the depth of the water is longer than your rope okay okay now, let's look at the next one, inconceivable. Well, what is seeving? When we conceive things, that means that we're thinking about it. So inconceivable means that we cannot think about it. Just like unfathomable means we can't measure it. Right. Okay. So in that regard, what we're talking about, neither one of those words work. When yeah. the mind stops. Because when the mind stops, we can't conceive. Right. When the mind stops, we can't measure. That's what unfathomable means is that it cannot be measured. Right, right, right. So we, uh, we can allow that state where things are inconceivable because we're not thinking about it. Right. We're not measuring it. We're not finding out is it bad or good or whatnot like that. Yeah. So, we can actually then practice being in a state of unconceivable. Yeah. But we don't do that by just wanting the mind to stop. Rather, we can appreciate when it does and start making the more the gaps a little bit bigger. But we can't do that until we can control the mind by just like the cow herd can control those cows to get them out to pasture. But now we can rest. We can put some gaps in those right. wholesome thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, because once once the thoughts are in a place that's not going to cause any problems, then you can stop paying attention to them as as rigorously as you were in the beginning. So that, yeah, that makes sense. Thank you. Excellent. All right. So let's let's finish this talk. Um, okay. And I'm really pleased to see you that you're in Tainand. I'm not going to be your tour guide, but if you have any questions, I've got lots of recommendations I, for I'm you. Sure I'm sure I will have questions. Thank <laughs> you. I didn't uh, take it any way. I know you're just trying to help me. So thank you so much. Excellent. All right, Scott, Avery, we'll see you guys later. All right, bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye.